With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Footballers and athletes in general should not be role models. They shouldn't be expected to be role models. And parents should not use them as role models for their children. They're generally young men or women. They're not people with the life experience themselves to be role models for others. They should never be held up on a platform as if they're somehow a better human being than others. But there are certain examples where that's not the case. And Marcus Rashford is one of those examples. Marcus Rashford is an incredibly talented footballer. But at 22 years of age, what he has done this summer stands out above everything he's ever accomplished on a football field. Rashford grew up in poverty, and he never forgot that he grew up in poverty. He never forgot the sacrifices that his mother made when he was a young boy, to feed him and his four siblings as a single parent. And this summer, in the midst of the pandemic, as government failed to act, Marcus Rashford took steps to help feed hungry young children. Children who, without the certainty of school meals, may not have had a meal that day. He went out of his way to create a partnership to try and solve some of the problems, but it only solved some of the problems. He teamed with Fair Share, who are an organization aimed at fighting hunger and food waste, to try and provide school meals for young kids who didn't have school to go to. And this is not pandemic-based. This is a failure of government, but it's not necessarily the fault of the Conservative Party or Fianna Fáil in Ireland or the Republican Party in the United States. This is a failure of government on the whole. This was an issue under the Labour government. It was an issue under Fianna Gael in Ireland. It was an issue under the Democratic Party in the United States. In America, 12 million children live in poverty. In the UK, it's 4.2 million. And in the Republic of Ireland, with our small populations, 230,000 people, children who live in poverty. These are first world developed countries. And that number of children live in poverty day to day, not knowing if they're going to have a meal. And that it's taken Marcus Rashford 
a 22-year-old to put himself to the forefront while the supposed leaders of the countries stand by and argue about absolute nonsense and have their focuses drift in other ways. It's shameful. It's shameful on society as a whole, and it's shameful on these people who are employed and elected to serve the people, to make the country better for the people. And again, this is not anything against the current governments in each of the countries I've mentioned. And it's not just these countries, of course. It's many other countries as well. I'm merely using these as these are the three countries most relevant to somebody who lives where I live. Because that's the news that we get into this country. is our own news, British news, and American news. And when I see figures like this, when I see 12 million children in America, 4.2 million in the UK, and 230,000 here, I can't help but feel that we have failed as a society. I think it's incredible what Marcus Rashford has done. I think it's incredible that he continues day after day to fight for young people. He doesn't have to do that. He could just donate a little bit of money and think, that's it, that's me, I've done my part. But he's gone so far above that. When he teamed up with Fairshare, their initiative raised £20 million to provide food for children who would have had free school meals. It was, initially, it was set up just for the Greater Manchester region, but later it was expanded to, to being a national initiative. In June, Rashford himself revealed that the charity had been able to reach 3 million children across the country. 3 million children. That's the impact he was able to make. He wrote an open letter to the government calling on them to end childhood poverty in the UK. And a day later, the government announced a change in policy regarding the extension of free school meals during the summer holidays. How has it taken a, 21, a 22-year-old footballer for the government to make this decision? How has it taken a 22-year-old footballer to lead this? And in his wake, we've seen Gary Lineker, uh, Kerr Starmer, the leader of Labour, Ed Davey, who was the co-acting leader of the Lib Dems, they've come out behind him. Now, credit to Lineker, but Starmer and Davey and their parties should have been at the forefront of this. Only a couple of weeks ago, Rashford set up a task force with UK food brands to attempt to tackle childhood poverty. Marcus Rashford has done that. That's how he has spent his year. It's incredible. As the government mishandles this pandemic and mishandles everything else, in not just in the UK, in every other country, and again, I'm not saying it would be better under the Labour government in the UK, a, a Sinn Féin Labour government in Ireland and a democratic government in, in America, it wouldn't be. Because unless there's an actual plan put in place, unless people are willing to fight this issue, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Think of those numbers again. 12 million in America. 4.2 million in the UK. 
230,000 in Ireland. That's incredible. Now, what I've seen on social media is a massive groundswell of support for Marcus Rashford, and he deserves every bit of it. He needs to be held up on a pedestal for this. If you're a fan of Manchester United, of the English football team, if you're from Manchester, if you have any connection to this boy at all, you should be incredibly proud that one of your own has stepped forward like this. His parents should be incredibly proud of him. He's clearly been very, very well raised. He is an absolute credit to his mother. What I also see, though, is the odd idiot telling him to focus on his football. Focus on your game, Marcus. Let others do that. The others aren't doing it. He had to do this. As for focusing on his game, he's 22. He's one of the best players in the Premier League already. He's a player of such immense talent that he made Jose Mourinho notorious for not trusting young players, put his trust in him as a teenager. Over the past three seasons, he scored 48 goals. He's already got one this season. He's played in a World Cup. He's played in the latter rounds of the Champions League. He has reached the very pinnacle of his profession at 22. He has built a massive platform for himself, and now he is using that platform to make a difference in the lives of children that he can connect with, because he was one of those children. So today, what I would ask you to do is just take a minute and think about the amount of children in our societies who don't know if they'll have a meal today or tomorrow or the next day. And if you can spare anything, be it some tins of food from your press to a local food bank, a couple of quid to a charity, the time to write an email to your MP, your TD, your congressman, your senator, whoever. Because many hands make light work. And if we all do a little bit, we can all go a long way towards combating childhood poverty. Because the children of today are our leaders of tomorrow. They're our future. We're the here and now, but they're our future. And without them, there is nothing. Marcus Rashford is 22. If you want a role model for your kid, no matter who you support, that's who it should be. Marcus Rashford. An exceptional human being. Right, welcome to Two-Footed Podcast on Thursday, September the 24th. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. We'd like to thank Fox Haunt for our title music. Quite enjoying their, their music, been listening to them quite a bit on Spotify, so do check them out there. Speaking of your podcasting apps and such, massive thank you to those who have uh, given us good reviews on the 
Apple Podcast app and others. Uh, if you could continue to do that, if you could continue to rate five stars, it doesn't really matter. If you want to say the podcast itself is terrible, that's absolutely fine. If you could give me five stars, though, it does just help with the algorithm, boost me up so more people will see it, more people will listen, and maybe it can become a sustainable thing for the long term because that's what I hope it will be. Um, I wanted to start today uh, with the Carabao Cup. But not necessarily the Carabao Cup itself, because, you know, it's it's the early stages. We'll get excited about it when it gets to the semifinals. Um, I want to talk about Kai Havertz, who scored a hat-trick last night against Barnsley. Um, played really well. He was very, very good in the game. Chelsea looked looked a lot, a lot better. And of course what's happened because he scored a hat-trick is that he's now been blown up, held on a pedestal, talked about as this you know, remarkable success, what a signing, all this kind of nonsense. The hat-trick is good for him. It's meaningless in reality. It really is meaningless. Barnsley are a bad team. They might be the analytical darling, and Struber might be someone that people love, but they're a bad football team. They've lost both their league games this season. They were dreadful last season. And the only reason they stayed up is because Wigan were deducted 12 points. Otherwise, Barnsley will be back in League One, which is about their level. It's about where they are at the moment. I can understand why people enjoy them. I mean, their their pressing is exceptional. I, I don't know that there's another team around that presses as, as much as them. The, the problem for them is they don't ha- have the players to make it, it, it a successful, sustainable model. But they're a bad team right now. That That's just what they are. So scoring a hat-trick against them, is it doesn't count for much. It's great for his confidence. But it's not going to translate to Premier League play. Premier League defenders and midfielders are so much better than what you're seeing at Barnsley, who are, like I say, League One calibre and truth. But just as meaningless were his performances against Brighton and against Liverpool. Which, of course had the other side of the coin, which is where people came out and wrote him off and said he was a flop and said he was all hype and that they were glad that their team didn't sign him. Oh, bullet dodged and all this good stuff. And that was all nonsense as well. Because all of the takes on Kai Havertz, based on his performances since moving to Chelsea, are absolute nonsense. They should be put in a bin and set on fire. Kai Havertz is a fantastic young footballer. Emphasis on young. He's a young man who's moved to a new country to play in a new league at a new club with new teammates. And yes, he has a grasp of the English English language, but it's still not his first language. So patience is the order of the day with Kai Havertz. He needs time. He needs time to settle in, to acclimatize, to get more comfortable with the language, get more comfortable with his teammates, get more comfortable with the physical side of football, get more comfortable with living in London as opposed to Leverkusen. Everything that he is experiencing right now is drastically different to everything he was experiencing five months ago. He is going to be a tremendous player. I have absolutely no doubt in that. I very rarely get jealous 
of other team signings. I am extremely jealous that Chelsea managed to sign him. I think he is one of the best young players in the world. But all of the hot takes that I see right now, good and bad, they're just drivel. This is a young guy who is learning everything from the start all over again, including a new role. Because against Brighton, he played on the right. Against Liverpool, he played as a false nine. In all likelihood, he's going to end up playing as a number 10. There doesn't seem to be a set plan for him at the minute with Frank because he's trying to integrate a lot of new players in. He's trying to, he's trying to build something. I mean, the bottom line with Frank is that this is basically year one for Frank. Last year was sort of year zero, where he took over Sarri's team, didn't have the the transfer window to bring players in. Obviously, Kovacic was signed, but he'd been there. They did uh, have Christian Pulisic come in, but it took a, like quite a bit of time for him to get settled and get fit and all the, all the rest. Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham and Tamori all came back off loans. So they all had to be integrated as well. But by and large, the group of players that played last season is not the group of players that will play under Frank Lampard moving forward. You could say that within, if he, if he lasts two to three years, Reese James, maybe Kovacic, and maybe one other, without putting a name on them, maybe one of the attackers, are the only ones that will be regular go-tos for Frank. Not necessarily starting 11, but potentially, you know, regular uh, impact subs. This is year one for Frank. So he needs to figure out what he wants to do, how he wants to play, and where these players are to fit. And I've said before, I don't think they ever planned to sign Timo Werner or Kai Havertz for this summer. I think Zayic was a planned signing. That's why they brought him in so early. Werner was going to Liverpool. That deal fell apart because of COVID and Liverpool's financial concerns. And Chelsea swooped in and grabbed him. And yes, they had been watching him for a while, but they didn't expect to get him. They had no antis- uh, no expectation of buying him this year. So it's it's. I don't think that was part of the plan. With Kai, everybody thought he was going to go to to Bayern Munich. The the expectation on expectation on him for the last two to three years has been that he will go to Bayern Munich. That's where he would go upon leaving Leverkusen. And in all likelihood, that's what would have happened if Leroy Sané hadn't blown out his knee last summer. Because if he hadn't, he would have gone to Bayern last summer and Kai would have been their number one target this summer. But when Sané got hurt, Bayern made him a promise that they would buy him this summer, which tied up their budget for this summer. And they couldn't afford to buy Kai. So again, Chelsea have done really well. And again, it's probably a player that they have had long-held admiration in. But they've swooped in and they've nabbed him. So, in all likelihood, those two, they're going to form a big part of Frank's team. But when he was planning his team through last season for the longer term, I wouldn't imagine either of them were part of his thinking. So he's having to make alterations on the fly. There's been... A couple of other players that have, you know, I don't think Thiago Silva was part of the long-term plan. I very much doubt that Edward Mendy, who they've now confirmed as a new signing, was the, the long-term 
target for the goalkeeping position. Um, so it's a little bit not making it up as as he goes along, but kind of adapting to a fluid situation as it builds in front of him. And all of that is a, a suboptimal environment for a young player like Kai Havertz to really flourish. So nobody should expect Kai to have a tremendous season this year. He may well do it. He has the talent. But if he has a little bit of a, a down year, if he has a slightly disappointing year, he shouldn't be written off for that. He shouldn't be criticized for that. He needs patience. He needs time. And it's not just him. It's all young players. Regardless of whether they move from you know, Burnley to Manchester United or Bayer Leverkusen to Chelsea, young players will take a little bit of time to adapt. Everything is going to be new. It could be their very first move, so they don't know what the adaptation period is like. They don't know how long it is to settle in. It could be the first time they've moved away from their families. So some people are just really adaptable. You can just throw them into any situation and they will just figure it out and get on with things. Others will take more time. Experienced players find transfers easy, especially if they've made them in the past. Young players tend to find them that bit more difficult. So take all the takes on Kai Havertz and let's just put a freeze on them. And let's just wait. Let's just wait and see how he does. Let's just enjoy the fact that this tremendous young player is in the Premier League now. Because... Unless Chelsea are playing against your club, you should get to a television and you should watch this guy as a neutral and enjoy him. Because we may not have him in the Premier League for the long term. He may only be here two, three years, and then he may want to go back to Germany and play for Bayern. But you should find a way to park your tribalistic beliefs and enjoy a young player like him. In the same way you should be enjoying the fact that James Rodriguez is in the Premier League with Everton, that Gareth Bale is back in the Premier League with Spurs, that Aubameyang is staying at Arsenal, because all of these things make the Premier League better. They make the product better. They make the football better. And surely that's what we all want. Surely we all want a better brand of football. It's one thing Sky telling us it's the best league in the world. It's a very different thing it actually being the best league in the world. It has been in the past. It can be again, but only if the quality of players is better. And Kai Havertz is better than the vast majority of players in world football. That's just what he is. He's a great player. He's exceptionally gifted. And he's going to do great things at Chelsea. But give him time. Don't build him up just to knock him down. Don't write him off straight away. Young players need time and they need our patience. And this brings me on to the next thing I wanted to mention, which was Jordan Ibe, who has uh, recently signed for Derby County on a free transfer, posted to his Instagram this week um, that he had fallen out of love with football and that he had suffered from depression. Now, as a Liverpool fan, I saw... Jordan Ibe develop at, at Liverpool for four years having arrived from Wickham 
broke into the first team picture and showed himself to be a very, very talented young player. At one point, there were a lot of Liverpool fans and some coaches at Liverpool who thought he could be just as good as Raheem Sterling. Now, obviously, it hasn't worked out like that for him. He fell down the pecking order a little bit, had a good loan at Derby, but was seen as surplus to requirements and was sold to Bournemouth for £15 million. And I think the public view of that was this is a really good move for him because he's going to go to a team that plays an exciting brand of football. He's going to get to work with one of the best young coaches in English football in Eddie Howe. And he'll develop here. This is a really good move for him. But it just never worked out. He suffered a lack of form. He lost confidence in himself. Then the manager lost confidence in him. And his game time fluctuated. 26 appearances in his first season. No goals. Wasn't particularly good. But in that second season, he did pick things up a little bit. 38 appearances across all competitions. Scored a couple of goals. Had a couple of really good appearances. And you could kind of see that things were starting to get you know, get back on track for him. But in that third season, there was a couple of injuries. And he seemed to lose the, the confidence of the manager. And then last season, he, he barely played football. He played four games across all competitions. Only two appearances in the league. Again, he had some injuries, but... It was very clear that his time at, at Bournemouth had run out and he left very, very quietly in the summer um, on a free transfer, which is a massive blow for for, for Bournemouth, who had put so much money into him. Um, it's a massive blow for him because at one point he thought his career was on a, a really high trajectory. And a lot of people have been asking, like, what happened to Jordan Ibe? What went wrong for Jordan Iben? And there you have it. He fell out of love with football. And I'm sure people will ask, how? How does that happen? Like, I love football. I've always loved football. I always, always will love football. And that's fine. It's different if it's your job, though. Just consider your own day job. There's days you don't want to get up and go in. No matter what your job is, there's days you do not want to get up and go in. And there are days where you probably just don't want to do that job anymore. And while Jordan Ibe is still very young, he's only 24, he won't be 25 till December. He has been a professional football player since 2012. He's been around a long time. This is his ninth season as a pro. So he's been doing this a long time at a very high level. And it's no surprise that he's, you know, he's fallen out of love with football a little bit. He's had some issues in his personal life. And he's spoken out about having depression, having suffered from depression. And there was the incident last year where he crashed his car and, and drove off or ran off. And it, it does just seem that his personal life sort of slipped out of control a little bit. But it got me thinking, you know... We can be overly critical of young players, of all players, not just young players, but of all players. And we never think of what's going on in their life. We never separate the two. We never make it 
the player and the person. It's just this one entity. And when you look back, you look at Stan Collymore, an incredible talent, often seen as a big waste of talent, but Stan Collymore battles serious mental health issues. And credit to him, he seems to have overcome it for the most part. He has become an advocate for mental health. And he's made a successful second career for himself as a broadcaster. And it's not like he didn't have a successful career as a player. He was an incredible player for, for Forest, for Liverpool, for Villa, for Bradford, and a couple of others. But he never really reached the, the levels that he was expected to because he suffered from mental health problems. And it's the same for Jordan Ibe and others. Sebastian Deisler was to be the great German footballer. He was the one from his generation who was going to be the star of the national team. He was the German David Beckham. And he moved to Bayern Munich and anxiety took hold of his life. And that was pretty much the end of his footballing career. Because we don't think of these type of things. We don't ever allow footballers to be humanized. We want them to be machines, but they're not. They're human beings. They have the same problems, the same concerns, the same worries as the rest of us. Football and life are different things. And if there's problems in your life, football becomes secondary. We've all missed a game here and there because of something going on in our lives. Footballers can't miss the game, but maybe their mind's not there when they're playing. And how much is that going to affect the performance if they're weighed down by something else? Now, I don't have an issue with criticizing a footballer. If you want to go on your social media and say, watch the game today and player X was terrible. That's fine. You are 100% within your rights to do that. What you should not do is tag player X. Because these players do read their social media. They are aware of what's being said about them. And it really is not acceptable to throw abuse directly at a player and tag them in that abuse. Because what if they don't manage their Twitter account? What if their cousin or brother or sister or wife or girlfriend or mother or father manages their social media for them? Now you've upset two people. Is that how you want to spend your day? I think we can all do better in this regard. I think we can always be a little bit more careful in what we say and who we say it to. And I think that the behavior of tagging players in abuse, I think it's bell-end behavior. I think it's the type of thing I expect from children and scumbags. I think as a society we can get better at this. And it doesn't just extend to footballers, it extends to everybody. If you have an issue with somebody, that's your issue. Don't take it to social media. Don't try and pile on. Don't try and do the clever tweet that gets thousands of likes where you've tagged a player and you're criticizing them. Criticize them, fine. 
as long as it's warranted. But remember that they're humans as well. I hope Jordan Ibe does brilliantly at Derby County. I've always liked him as a player. He seems like a really good lad. He had a successful spell at Derby before on loan from Liverpool. At Derby, he'll get to learn from Wayne Rooney, who's been through many of the pitfalls that that Ibe has, has had to deal with. They've got one of the best youth development programs there. They've got incredible development uh, coaching at Derby. He'll get to play with fantastic players, people like Louis Sibley, uh, Biliak, Josuiak. These are really good players. And he'll get to play under Philip Koku, who I think is a good manager. So I wish Jordan Ibe nothing but the best. Um, I've always been a fan, like I said, and I, I think... I think he can get his career back on track. I'd also like to see him de- declare for the Nigerian national team because um, I think he could do really well playing for them. They've a whole bunch of, of fun players, and he is eligible. Eligible. Now, I know he'd prefer to play for England, but he'd be a lot of fun in that Nigerian team. Um, we'll wrap up with some transfer news. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Eduard Mendy has been confirmed as the new goalkeeper for Chelsea. Whether he's to be first choice or not, we don't know. I would assume he is, um, because Kepa at this point is just unfortunately broken and probably needs to probably needs a loan away from Chelsea. I, I think that could be the option that suits everybody if they can find a club, even if they have to pay his wages. Um, I think if you loan him somewhere and just let him get out of the spotlight of playing for Chelsea Football Club, uh, it could be it could be the key to to rebuilding. And remember, as I've just spoken about, we don't know what's going on with Kepa, but I would imagine that coming in with all that pressure of being the world's most expensive goalkeeper, the expectation, the move to a big club from the only club he'd known, that type of thing weighs heavily. As a young man coming to a new country, we don't know what goes on in their heads. So... Uh, it, it Kepa looks like a guy with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Alone away, a little less pressure, I think could be the making of him. I think it could get him back on track, and he's a he's a tremendous goalkeeper at his best. He really, really is. Um, Marlon Santos looks like he's to be next in the door at Fulham. Uh, £15 million fee, allegedly agreed. Former Barcelona player, though, didn't actually play for them. But uh, he's a talented defender, and at 25, he's you know coming into his prime years. He will be an improvement on what Fulham have at the back, and it is good to see them looking to address their needs. They've also been linked to Jean-Claire Tadebo. He's been linked to a couple of other clubs as well, Everton and West Ham. Um, he, he's a very good player. I think at the minute, he's probably more of a defensive midfielder than centre-back, but in the right system, he, he could work out well as a centre-back. Um, Fulham are making the right moves. Whether it's enough to keep them up, I have my doubts, but it's good to see them making clever moves. And they've also been linked with Adam Ola Luckman, uh, the former Everton and Charlton striker, on loan from RB Leipzig. I'd really like to see him back in the Premier League. I really like him as a player. And uh, him and him and Mitrovic up front could be a lot of fun. It could be very, very tough to deal with. Mitrovic is a, an absolute pain in the arse. And Luckman is he's quick, He's got great movement. He's a very good finisher. He's an intelligent player. I think that as a pairing could be very, very good for for Fulham. Um, Harry Wilson 
Uh, looks like he could be on his way to Burnley from Liverpool. So it appears like Burnley have been listening to the podcast and listening to, the, to my demands that Sean Dyche gets some help. Uh, Nick Mashether has uh, reported this news. I I don't know Nick. I don't know. Um, don't know his track record, but he has reported this, and a couple of others have confirmed it that this is a deal that has been discussed. No, no, no news on the price yet. I would imagine Liverpool are probably pushing for somewhere in the region of fifteen million. Last summer they were looking for twenty to twenty-five, but COVID, etc. If Burnley can come up with twelve, rising to fifteen, I think that will get that deal done. Uh, I think that would be a good deal for all parties. I think he would be a good fit there. Now, he'd need to up his work rate a little bit, but to have him on one side and Dwight McNeil on the other uh, would give Burnley a, a very potent wide pairing. He will score goals, and he takes a great set piece. Um, speaking of people listening to the podcast, it's become very clear that uh, the Two-Footed Podcast is a regular listen at Villa Park because Dean Smith has made the right move. He has approached Chelsea to try and take Ross Barkley on loan. Um, I've been calling for that one for a while. I'd be very happy to see Ross Barkley go there. I think it's just a really nice fit. I really think it's a nice fit. Now, uh, John Percy of The Telegraph, who is the very best at reporting for the Midlands, has has reported on this. He's also said they've asked about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Um, you would imagine it has to be one or the other, especially if it's loans, because I think they can only take one, uh, one in. So, I would have a preference for Barkley. I do think long-term Loftus-Cheek might be the better player uh, if he can get you know back to where he was pre-injury. But Barkley is the better player now. I think he fits better for how I expect Villa to play. I think if you put Barkley into that midfield mix with John McGinn, with Marvellous Nakamba, and with Hurahan, um, that gives them really good options and really good combinations in the number eight positions either side of Douglas Louise, who I expect to be pretty much ever present this year. Manchester United are making moves as well. Mohamed Bahafsi has reported that they've agreed personal terms with Alex Tellez from Porto. Tellez is a very good left back. Um, he has been shopped around this summer. It's very clear his agent is trying to get him a move. He would be an improvement for United. He is definitely an upgrade on Luke Shaw and I'm not you know, saying that to disparage Luke Shaw because I do, I do think Luke Shaw is a better player than he's given credit for. Um, if that happens, I would assume Luke Shaw will be on the move, and I can think of a club called West Ham who would be very much uh, the, a good fit for for Luke Shaw potentially on a loan kind of deal. But Tellers would be an upgrade for United. He'd be a good signing as well. Price yet to be agreed with Porto. Porto are asking for, I think it's thirty four, thirty five million, which is high. But they'll point to the deal that Wolves just did for um, for Nelson Semedo and say, well, look, you know, we think our guy's better than him. You've got more money than them. That's the price we want. I, I, I hope this deal gets done largely because I'd like to see Tellers in the Premier League. You know, I'd be curious to see how he does at this higher level. Um, Spurs are in talks with Inter Milan for Milan Schrinier. Um Alistair Gold, who's, I think, the best for Spurs information, has said the deal kind of looks unlikely at the minute because of the gulf between what Spurs value him at and what Inter value him at. It's very weird for Inter Milan to be considering selling him, considering they want to play a back three. And Diego Godin has been pushed out the door. They called off a deal for Marash Kumbula. 
And the only good centre-backs they have at the club are Skriniar, Stefan de Vries, and Bastoni, the young guy. You've got three and you play a three. I don't understand what Inter Milan are doing this summer. I really, really don't understand what they're doing this summer. Uh, but none of it has been particularly good. Uh, West Ham are potentially moving on from James Tarkovsky. They have been linked with bids for Wesley Fafana of St. Etienne and Joe Roden of Swansea. Now, I think they're very unlikely to get Fafana. I also don't think he's what they need. I do think he's an incredible prospect. I really do think he is a tremendous young centre-back. But Leicester are also bidding for him. There's rumours that a couple of other clubs have interested. And he's so young. And what they really need next to Issa Diop is a a vocal organiser. And that's not him at this point. Um, Roden could be interesting because Roden is a talker. And he's a ball player. And they were linked with John Stones a little bit earlier in the window. But Roden's a similar type. But I think defensively, he has the potential to be better. He's definitely better in the air as well. So Joe Roden could be a really good signing for them. Now, they missed out on a whole bunch of championship players this year that they should have targeted. Uh, the likes of Matty Cash, the likes of Jaden Bogle. But if they could add him and get the two fullback positions sorted, things might look up for them. At the moment, everything looks disastrous for West Ham. Um, and finally... It looks like Southampton have found a buyer for Wesley Hoyt. Uh, Lazio, the club they bought him from, are uh, apparently in the midst of agreeing a deal to bring him back to the Italian capital. Uh, He was good for them when he was there, and he does make sense as a left-sided centre-back. They play a back three. He would be capable of playing either on the left or in the middle of that, and they do need a little bit of depth at centre-back. So, Southampton aren't going to get the money back. They paid, I think they paid about $16 million for him, and he was to be the Van Dyke replacement. If they get six back, I think they'll be doing quite well. Um, as I said yesterday, they are in negotiations to be sold, and apparently so are Burnley. Uh, so an American consortium, led by a former owner of Real Salt Lake, are rumoured to be in talks to buy Burnley. Um, which could which could be a really good thing if if this corporation are willing to invest money and willing to back Sean Dyche. There's no reason Burnley can't properly establish themselves as a top half Premier League team. Yes, they're a small club, but they've got a really good manager there. They've got a good core group of players, and with money to spend, with a bigger budget, I I really think you could see more from from Burnley. They won't ever become a team, I don't think, that challenges for titles or anything like that or challenges challenges for Champions League. But they could become a team that, you know, that challenges for Europa League on a regular basis. Um they've already had that one experience. It didn't go well for them because of their tiny squad. They really struggled to cope with Europa League and Premier League and it almost had them in a bit of bother. But with a bigger squad I think they'd be fine. Um they may have a little bit of a breakthrough on the Joe Worrell deal, the centre-back from Nottingham Forest that they were trying to get because it looks like Forest have agreed a deal for Scott McKenna from Aberdeen, who's a very good centre-back, very similar to Worrell. So I'd imagine as a replacement, he could be coming to play alongside him. But um, if Burnley could get him in and keep Tarkovsky, that would be pretty good. Dale Stevens looks like that deal's done. Um it is what it is. It's a body in midfield. It's not going to move the needle for them. 
but at least it gives them a warm-blooded human being that they can call upon. And that's it. That is our show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, thank you to producer Guy Drinkle for his dedication. <laughs> Without him, this this really wouldn't be possible. Um, thanks, as always, for the you know any retweets, any little bit of promotion you can help me with. Thank you for the reviews on on Apple, etc., etc. I really do appreciate that. I can't emphasize enough how much I appreciate it. Um, if you could keep doing that, just keep pushing. Just tell one friend. That's I, I I have two requests for you today. One is you know make a donation, a contribution, send an email, send a text, send a tweet, make a phone call. Get more people who can help, who can make a change, involved in ending what is a horrendous situation with regards to childhood poverty. It's unacceptable in developed countries that we have this issue and that we have it to the extent that it exists. So any little bit that you can do, please do. And from a selfish point of view, tell a friend, leave a review, follow me on Twitter at Two Footed Pod. If you've got anything that you want to hear talked about on the podcast, if you've got a guest that you'd like to hear brought on, Hit me up on Twitter or email me twofootedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm back tomorrow. Here's Fox Hunt. Podcast Network.